You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Listen, I know it's gloomy out, but you guys can't do this to me this morning, okay? Y'all need to smile. You look very unhappy right now. I'm just being honest. So smile, turn to your neighbor and say, you look fantastic this morning. Now turn to the other neighbor that you just ignored and say, meh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. So hey, uh, today we're, we're closing out our series on the sanctity of life. Everybody say, aww. Hasn't this been an awesome series? And the only reason why I say that is just because like the feedback that, that we've been getting, but also wasn't Tony McFadden just awesome? Uh, oh my goodness. So if you missed a couple weeks ago, we had, uh, uh, she has her doctor, it's a doctor, Tony McFadden. Uh, we, we had her come in. She, ha- she has this incredible testimony. She went through an abortion and talks about how God redeemed her from that. And now she's a part of the pro-life uh, movement and just doing incredible things for inner city ministries. You got to check her website out. Awesome resource. But if you missed that Sunday, you're going to want to go online back to our archives and check it out because it's awesome. So today we're talking, we're wrapping up the series about the sanctity of life, which primarily has been focused on the fact that as Christians, we are supposed to value every life. Amen, church? Every life, we are supposed to recognize that that life bears the image of God. And therefore, that life, that person doesn't have to earn our love, doesn't have to work for it, but because we are Christ followers, they receive our love. Is this making sense so far? All right, awesome. And so one of the topics that we've been primarily focused on, though, with the Sanctity of Life series is the topic of abortion. Because this is a heavy topic, and I recognize that, and I just want to preface this morning's service by saying this, that, that if you have a past experience with that, uh, with going through an abortion, having an abortion, we don't condemn you, we don't reject you, but we recognize that that is a potential testimony that God could use to help others. We're not, amen, church? I said amen, church. And so we're here to not only recognize that all life is sacred, but also recognize that if you've gone through an abortion before, that, that I thank God that there's, there's no sin that's too great, that, that, that is greater than the cross. His cross just beats down every sin. Amen, church? And so there's a redemptive path there. And I also just want to say, uh, church, thank you so much for overwhelming our girls' ministry with all of the baby resources out in the lobby. Is that not just encouraging? You guys are awesome. One more hand clap, just because it's a great day to be in church. So awesome, awesome, awesome. Last week, we talked about and introduced kind of a, a new term, maybe, for, for some of you. We not only addressed humanism, uh, that is this organization that says we can be good without God, and we said, <laughs> no, we need God to attain goodness, that God gives us the definition of goodness, amen, church? And so this week, um, we're also reiterating a principle titled uh, worldview. Uh, is this a new term for any worldview? Are you familiar with worldview fairly? Yeah, some of you, y'all are giving me the blank stare. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jesus may chains fall, amen. 
So worldview is this term that we use that basically it's our perspective. It's how we evaluate what is right, what is wrong. It's how we value morality. And this morning we're here to recognize this, that a Christian worldview is one that recognizes life as sacred. The Christian worldview at its core is a worldview and belief system that we're taught in Scripture that recognizes life as sacred. We've been reiterating this verse throughout the past couple weeks, Genesis chapter 127, that says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And this is the foundation of our worldview because it's not only reiterated throughout the Old Testament where taking a life or devaluing life had costly penalties, but we recognize that this principle is reiterated in the New Testament. If anything, Jesus raised the standard and said, you've not only got to love them through your action, but you've got to love them in your heart. And so this is, this is necessary because this is the foundation to our worldview. If you claim the title Christian, you better claim the lifestyle. And in order to claim the lifestyle, you and I have to recognize what Scripture has taught us. Life is a sacred and precious gift given by God Almighty, our Creator. Amen, church? And I also say that to say this. And I say this in love, there isn't a Christian worldview that supports abortion. There isn't a part of scripture or our worldview that embraces the practice of abortion. You won't find a scriptural reference for that. Just like there isn't a Christian version of theft. Just like there isn't a Christian version of adultery. There isn't a Christian version of of abortion. Nowhere in scripture do we see any person of God saying and backing away from the argument at hand of abortion or taking a child's life. Nowhere do we find in scripture where that person says, well, it's their choice. So I live over here. You do whatever you want over here. But we see proactive Christians doing something about the cause in which they claim to believe in. Amen, pastor. I also want to point out that as a matter of fact, we have biblical characters, biblical people who reject and disobey government orders to have an abortion. Moses, and isn't it interesting that Moses, his parents disobeyed the order to abort him. They sent him off, and someday that child that was destined to die would be the liberator of God's people. What a beautiful story. That'll preach. I say that to say this, and I do smirk while I say it. Righteous disobedience sometimes leads to God's provision. And I also want to recognize Jesus' parents for disobeying the order. Abortion isn't new. As we discussed in week one in this series, abortion has been a common practice. It was a common practice in Rome during Jesus' time. As a matter of fact, I believe that the Romans had the most cruelty when it came to this practice where they would have a two or three-year-old child um, where they decided, I, I don't want to take care of you anymore, and they would let that child out into the wilderness. They would leave them there to die. 
And so the Christian church, rather than just kind of complaining about it, the Christian church became known as an orphanage, taking these abandoned children in. It was Christians who were searching the hillsides throughout the country looking for abandoned babies to take in, even though most of the time the only thing that the Christian could do is offer a respectable funeral for that child. But the church didn't stop. I said the church didn't stop. And the church didn't shut up. And the church didn't shrink back from the fight that was in front of them. But the church did something about it. There isn't a person in the Bible that supports any hint of abortion unless it's a dictator. Most examples in the Bible actually disobey abortion and intervene in an abortion. And the Bible actually celebrates these actions. As a matter of fact, rather than a Bible verse supporting and condoning abortion, we have verses like this in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 36. All who hate me love death. And years ago, this Bible verse, let's be honest, this verse wouldn't have really made sense. God, how can you love death? I automatically go into like a military perspective and I'm like, some of my friends who are veterans, they love the fight, so I don't know what to make of this. And now here we are in 2021 where there are parades that celebrate this action. And now we live in a day and age where when legislation is passed for post-birth abortion, can I just say that there's no way to go around calling it murdering a child. And now we live in a day and age where the cameras zoom in on our govern, our governing elected officials who laugh and cheer, and shout, and celebrate. And I'm reminded of this verse where God says, all who hate me love death. And I start to understand the weight that God knew that this day would come. Don't get political, pastor. Can I just say that this morning you're not going to hear me reference a political party. Personally, I could care less. What I'm concerned about is who's supporting biblical foundations for what God has said to do and to not do. What God has deemed as wrong and right. My political stance will forever change because it's dependent on that. And Political parties will change. Are there any Federalists in the room this morning? I didn't think so. Political parties will come and go. They'll change. But God's truth will remain. Which is why when we discuss abortion, first we do it in a heart of love and not condemnation. But secondly, our stance is founded on not a political principle, but it's founded on God's truth. Because our Christian worldview recognizes that any life, any human, is a precious gift from God. The Bible actually refers to 
various passages that a baby in the womb is a life. You'll, for example, Luke chapter 1, verses 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. There's no discussion of what was in the womb being anything less than human. We won't find a scripture that dehumanizes what happens in the womb. John, before birth, is recognized as a baby in the womb, Luke chapter 1, verses 41, and again in verse 44. The Bible recognizes that God is active in the creative process of forming new life. Thank God. We actually have scriptural foundation that say that what's happening in the womb at conception is a God-ordained appointment, that He's a part of the process. It's His process, not ours. Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 and 32 validate this, as well as Isaiah chapter 44, verses 2, and it's reiterated throughout the New Testament by Jesus Himself as well as the disciples. The Bible recognizes that God has plans for the unborn. Did you know that the plans that you have for your child, I mean, they're kind of cute, but they don't compare to what God's plans are? Right? I recognize, listen, I, I love hunting. All right? Any hunters in the room? All right. Fishermen in the room. I love the outdoors. And I hope that my little ginger babies will grow to love the outdoors. Some of the best prayer meetings I have had have been 20 foot up in a tree stand. I'm closer to him. It makes sense. And I love it. And I have plans for them. And, and, and cadence, as many of you know, my four-year-old cadence, cadence is a musical term. And Kylie and our, our prayer and what we felt was like the Lord was saying, I'm going to use this child in worship. And that's not my plan, that's his plan. And parents, we have to make sure that we understand that your child is a lease given to you by God. That your child is a stewardship opportunity, not to be handled carelessly. But that your child is a gift from God, it's God's child. And so my first question isn't, you know, here's my plans for you. You're going to be a CEO in this way. You're going to be involved in this way. Maybe you'll, you'll be a doctor, a lawyer, maybe a mechanic, whatever. My, my plans have to come second because first I have to say, God, whatever you want to do in my child's life, would you help me train them up in that way? The word of God recognizes that God has plans for the unborn child. It's funny, one of the things that I believe God confirmed in us when we were debating on naming Cadence, Cadence, is I, we were at a worship service and we were praying, you know, Lord, would you confirm this in us? Because this is kind of a bold step. And uh, worship starts and Kylie grabs her belly. And she's like, you've got to feel this. So I put my hand on her belly and Cadence is doing somersaults, man. Your will be done. 
His plan for your children. Parents, I'm talking to you this morning. His plan for your children are the best plans you could ever imagine. As a matter of fact, I don't think that we could come up with any of the plans that God has for our kids. That's why it's important for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, with Scripture, recognizing that God's not going to reveal the whole plan to us because, honestly, I think we'd go into cardiac arrest if he did. But he'll show you the next step and the next one. But it's our job to be obedient to his plans so that our children's plans can be solidified by him. The word of God gives value to humanity. Why bring this up, pastor? Churches are full of Christians, so isn't this kind of preaching to the choir this morning, right? Shouldn't we all believe this? If it says it in the Bible, shouldn't we yield to that? I mean, isn't this message just a little bit repetitive, pastor? Here's the reality. Statistically, abortion exists with the consent of the church. Statistically, the church has stamped its approval on this. America, statistically, is majority claims the title Christian. If you're here today and there's a perspective that embraces abortion or says, not my cup of tea, but it's okay for you, can I just say this, that it is your Christian moral obligation to change that perspective. This is not a sign of intellectual weakness either. Man, I am convinced that in America, we will know 100% that we are wrong and we will fight to the death. Why is that? I think it's because we view change a change in our hearts, our perspective as intellectual weakness. But can I tell you that the Bible says a better word? The Bible says that every time you change and you align your perspective closer with Christ, it leads to maturity and strength. You can argue from a secular, godless mindset that abortion is permissible, but I warn you that that argument is full of inconsistency and hypocrisy. You cannot argue for equality without God and say that, they, that we are all equals, that we all matter, and yet say that other humans that aren't developed where we are do not have a choice, that they are lesser human. That's an inconsistent argument. It's just like if a, if a lady were to decide to not have an abortion, I love the way Tony said it, the father would still have to pay for that child. If a lady is on the way, if a woman is on the way to receive an abortion and is killed in a car accident on the way, the individual who caused that is going to get charged because he took two lives. 
There's hypocrisy and inconsistency in saying that we all matter, we all have life, life is precious, and at the same time turning around and saying that it is permissible for a mom to abort her child. There's inconsistency there. So you can argue it is your right, it is your choice, you have free will. Or you can stand on the consistent and eternal side of the argument and have a foundation that is well-rounded and solid to stand on that doesn't have hypocrisy throughout, that truly does value humanity so much so that Scripture actually tells us, yeah, you know that group of people in your society that are rejected alone? I want you to go love them. It's a worldview that is so beautiful where... In other religions, children do not have the right to come into the temple, the synagogue, whatever it may be. Why? Because they're lesser than. And then you have Jesus, who actually reams out his disciples. He says, what are you doing? Let the children come. I love the worldview that God has given us. Because it fights on its own and it wins every time. So we talked about our worldview, our outlook on life, where the morality, right and wrong, comes from, comes from the Word of God. We've discussed a little bit about the fact that being a Christian means that we value life. We value human life as precious, as sacred, as made in the image of God. But what about outside of these four walls? What about the world around us that says abortion is the right of the people? What about the other mindset or worldview that says abortion doesn't affect you directly? So therefore, it shouldn't be a concern for you if somebody else decides what to do with their lives. I think the ultimate question in all of these that we could summarize and eventually lead to is, is this question that is primary, uh, dominant in this, in this discussion is this, should we be concerned with what our world thinks? Should it concern us as Christians the way that our world thinks? Should it concern us the way that the world perceives morality and right and wrong? So I'm hearing yeses in the room, but why? Why is it your concern? Why does it matter to you what somebody else does? I want to discuss that for a second. I want to say this, and it's going to get heavy for a little bit, but I promise we'll come up for air. The Holocaust did not begin with killing Jews. That's not the starting point. The Holocaust began with an idea. The Holocaust began with a worldview. It was a thought process that devalued, dehumanized people. Hitler studied two philosophers, George Hegel and Friedrich Nietzsche. Hegel's main argument was that there are no moral absolutes. That good is determined by that which the majority rules as useful for a society. That is the public that determine right and wrong based off of what is useful for the society. Then came along Frederick Nietzsche, and Frederick Nietzsche takes it up one more level. Nietzsche said that the center of moral value is power. 
value those that give a society power and that are useful and eliminate those that weigh down a society and make it weak. Just getting going. Check, check, check. All right, if it happens again, I can't guarantee that I won't chuck it in a dumpster. I'm kidding. Is bored? We're good? All right, so let's pretend like that didn't happen. Turn to your neighbor, say, buckle up. So then comes along Frederick Nietzsche, who says that what is important is the individuals that can give power to a society, that can make some kind of uh, uh, production in a society, that, can, that society can benefit from, that that's how we determine who is useful and who is not. Do you hear this worldview being played out in what you've learned about World War II? And these ideas became a reality before the Jewish population was killed through the Holocaust. These ideas became a reality when the Nazis instituted the T4 euthanasia program, which was promoted and advertised as a program that will bring a stronger society and country. The euthanasia program required the cooperation of many German doctors who reviewed the medical files of patients and institutions to determine which individuals with disabilities or deformities of any kind will be killed. The program then began to kill anyone with a physical, mental disability, the handicapped, and the elderly. All of this was promoted and accepted by society through propaganda that stated this. It would be far better to provide housing for a newly married couple than to keep sick people alive that take up room and financial resources. This thought process would lead to millions of Jews being murdered. But it didn't start there started with an idea. It started with a worldview. It started with new definitions of right and wrong that were not objective. The euthanasia program was promoted with the message of economic and societal convenience. That same argument that was used for genocides against millions exists today that says it's okay to have an abortion for the sake of personal and economic convenience. It would relieve the mother of financial obligations, social costs, the moral costs. It's the same idea. There are many similarities between the Greek and Roman pagan practices of infanticide, the killing of unborn babies, and the euthanasia that we saw prior to World War II. 
The killing of the weak, handicapped, and elderly was a common practice in Rome. It's part of the reason why the first church in the New Testament said to care for the widows. Because they were looked at as weak. Now, me personally, I've met single mothers, and I'm terrified of them. You've never met a mama bear. I'll stop there. The pro-abortion mindset of the Greek and Roman culture went hand in hand. Abortion is the wedge issue that other horrors soon follow. In pagan nations throughout history, abortion, killing of babies, leads to killing of the weak. Killing of the weak leads to killing the handicapped and the elderly. And I want to say this, this is a quote that I heard from a mentor of mine who said this, we cannot afford to be the people that live next to the crematorium smokestacks of Nazi camps and did nothing. Should we be concerned? Because a worldview is a big deal. It determines the course of a person's life as well as the direction in which a society is going. It should matter to us. And I believe for too long, the church, we've just been kind of like, we go to the voting booth and we scream about that. Go vote, go vote, go vote. Voting day happens, silence. It's a part of why I'm so proud of our girls' ministry for resourcing the pregnancy center that's local to us. We're called to do something. And can I, I just want to paint this picture. I am not advocating for going and standing outside of Planned Parenthood holding signs that say, God hates you, you're going to burn in hell. I have no patience for that. But what I am advocating for is, church, let's be a part of the solution. I don't know what it's like to be in that place of having a child coming to the world and I don't have the finances, I don't have the resources, I don't have a supportive family around me. I don't know what that's like to be in that position. I told my parents that they were going to have their first grandkid and Amazon boxes started showing up to the door every week. I don't know what it's like to not have that, but can I tell you that if you're here this morning and you're in that position, there's a church here that wants to surround you and send Amazon boxes to your door. So what should our response be, right? It's a lot of information this morning. You guys have done great, by the way. What do we do? Our response to abortion should be the following. First, we need to pray. Prayer is the oxygen to the fire in the church. Prayer is the oxygen to the fire in the church. You're here this morning. You've heard me say it again. I'll say it till the day I died. You're experiencing this morning answered prayers. This building answered prayers. The chairs that you're sitting on answered prayers. The mic that I'm using, even though it kind of has a love-hate relationship with me. Huge answer to prayer. The kids being ministered to downstairs answered prayers. 
Those of you that have received Christ for the first time in your lives over the past couple months, you're an answer to prayer. I'm convinced that nothing happens unless prayer is step one. So what do we do around this topic of abortion, church? You pray. We pray. Secondly, use the right vocabulary. Those that argue for support of abortion call a baby a fetus, a clump of cells, and other terms that seek to remove the personhood of the child, to dehumanize the child. Use terms like baby, human life. Pro-choice sounds beautiful, but a more accurate term would be the, determina- the, the, the termination of a human life in the womb. And we use language to get away from the topic at hand. As Christians, with love, can I challenge you, use the right vocabulary. Because the children, the 900,000 plus children that are aborted in our country every year deserve that. They deserve to be recognized as sacred. And the least that we could do is refer to them as a person. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, and that is Christ. We're called to speak the truth, but with a compassionate heart. To neglect truth is to be a liar. To neglect love is to be a jerk. Number three, we're called to be involved in the political process. What the courts once said about the African-American community has been turned around. And now arguments that were once used to dehumanize a race are now used to dehumanize babies. We reject the idea that a court-made legal right is a moral right. I want to say that again. As Christians, we reject the idea that a man-made, court-made legal right is a moral right. We reject that. Mother Teresa said this, abortion not only kills the child involved, but the consciousnesses of those involved. If you care about the mother, we will show compassion and love absolutely. But we will also be involved in political processes. That's not our first calling though, church. I want to be clear on that. We're first called to follow Christ. Amen? Number four, understand that righting a legal wrong will not solve the problem of sin. I want to say that again. Writing a legal wrong will not solve the problem of sin. So let's say to t- tomorrow, some way, somehow, a- abortion was deemed as criminal. That still isn't going to solve the process 
the thought process of how our culture thinks, how we view sin. That's why we need to keep Christianity at the forefront of our objective, not political policies. Worship team, if you come. Number five, we must not allow our anti-abortion stance to be interpreted as anti-choice or anti-woman. We have to make sure that our anti-abortion stance is not interpreted as anti-choice or anti-woman. I'm not anti-woman. I just have sat in a room across from a mother who's had an abortion and she bears the PTSD scars of that occurrence. That I, I love women enough that I don't want them to go through that. I could stand here before you this morning and talk about teenagers in my youth ministry. No woman should have to go through the trauma that is induced through this process, let alone a teenage girl. We have to make sure that our anti-abortion stance is not interpreted as anti-choice. I just recognize that a mother does not have the choice to murder her four or five-year-old, just like she does not have the choice to take the life of her baby in the womb. And I need to preface this because I know this is strong this morning and I'd be foolish to assume that nobody in our church has ever had a past like this. Can I tell you that our God is a God of redemption? We love you. We're here for you. If it's counseling services that you seek, we can provide those. If it's support that you seek, we can provide that. If it's a question and answer session that you want to have, I'm an open book. We're here to support you. But we also have to state what is truth and what is not. Number six, we need to be informed so that we can give a reasonable response and not just an emotional reaction. We need to be informed so that we can give a reasonable, intellectual response and not just an emotional reaction. There's just too many resources available to us. We're spoiled Americans. Can we acknowledge that? Anybody who's traveled to third world countries, you know what I'm talking about. We are spoiled. The reality is that there's just too many resources that we have at our fingertips to research and have an intellectual, mature conversation. If you and I arrive at the conversation of abortion and we show up unequipped with no information about basic statistics, the formation of a life in the womb, brother, sister, you got to get on that. It's time. Just being emotional about an issue isn't enough. But you and I have to be equipped with biblical truth as well as knowledge on the matter. Is this making sense? Number seven, we need to proclaim that the biblical stance is that sex is to be practiced within the marriage covenant. 
sexual promiscuity is directly attached to the abortion topic. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his or her own body. Here's what this scripture is saying. There's a difference between a crime happening where somebody is punched in the face and somebody is raped. Sexuality, we recognize inherently, is precious. That you don't violate that in another person. We recognize in all these different areas the preciousness in the gift of sex that is given to us. But then whenever it comes to sex being kept between a husband and a wife, the church has become silent. I've even encountered youth pastors who have handed out condoms to their students. Friend, do you know in a marriage ceremony when the two have officially become one? It's not with the rings. It's not with the vows. It's when they have sex. Sex is not just another physical activity. It's binding. It's the way God designed it. It's to bind two into one. And then something crazy happens where a woman becomes pregnant and that child is the symbol of the two becoming one in the purest sense. Teach your kids that sex is sacred. It's the way God designed it. I've sat across from too many guys and too many girls that have messed up in this area. And they have all this emotional turmoil. Why? Because they find it themselves with so many other people only to have it ripped apart. And there's an emotional and spiritual toll that takes place on an individual. Stop being silent. I'm not saying, let's pioneer the way for guilt and condemnation and you're going to hell in a handbag. I'm saying, let's have conversations about the preciousness of the gift of sex. If you're here this morning, you're like, Pastor, that is not my testimony. Can I tell you that God restores innocence? That God can bind up the brokenhearted. Y'all are too quiet this morning, man. Number eight, we must proclaim not only God's judgment on sin, but also God's mercy to those who have sinned. Don't forget that the gospel is called the good news. And it was never made to be this message where we walk up to somebody, we're like, sinner, be blessed. It was never meant to be this conversation that we have where we're like, this is how you screwed up, okay? You're stupid for screwing up. Hell exists. I hope you get to heaven and bow out of the conversation. It's called the good news because the message of the gospel restores hope. 
that I have a Savior who's madly in love with me. I have a Savior who takes care of my kids when I don't have my eyes on them. He's a God of judgment, yes. He's a God of of justice, yes. But he's also a God of mercy, and that's what the cross symbolizes. Mercy on all of us. And hear me this morning, I am not lifting up abortion to be the ultimate sin, unforgivable sin. I'm here to say his mercy is that good that his blood covers all sin. Finally, we must support pregnant mothers. Married and unmarried. Financially, support them. Spiritually, support them. Emotionally, emotionally support them. Psychologically, support them. My hope and prayer is that C3 Church becomes known as a support system. Would you stand up across this place this morning? First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If we want to change the world, we've got to start locally. If we want to have a global impact, we have a local impact. If we want to be a part of a global cause, we must have a local cause. So over the next couple months and in the next couple years, it's myself as well as our leadership here, our hearts to be outreach driven. Pastor, what does that look like? It means that how we're resourcing the pregnancy is step one. That there are dreams and visions about how we can support mothers who are struggling with this, support mothers who are struggling in general. This is step one. There's a plan for us to get heavily involved and be a part of the solution with this. It means that we do all that we can to build a reputation in Foglesville, in Allentown, in Lehigh County, that we are a church that says, come as you are and not as you should be. But church, this morning, this is step one. That these nine things that I've listed out, that we get them, that we understand them, and that we put them into practice. Amen? Amen? God is so faithful. He is so good. And I am so glad this morning that I'm not who I used to be because of the one who first loved me. Who are we to withhold that from others? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that your goodness, it's like it's running after us. We can't escape your goodness. We look at creation and we see your goodness. We look at our children and we see your goodness. 
We look at the institution of marriage and we see your blessing and your goodness. Everything that you've created is just so perfect. It's why we sing songs and say you're perfect in all of your ways because even in difficult situations that don't make sense, you turn them around for your goodness, for your plan, for your will. So Lord, we yield to you this morning. We need you. Would you help us in times where the conversation is heated and difficult? Lord, would you calm our emotions down and help us to give an intellectual, biblical response in love? Lord, I pray that over each and every individual represented here today as well as online, that you would send some of the categories of people that we've talked about today into our paths, into our lives. People that don't think like us people who don't view morality like the Bible says. Would you send those people in front of us, Lord Jesus, so that we might be your hands and feet? And until that time comes where we cross paths with an individual like that, help us to prepare for the spiritual battle that's at hand in our country, in our state, in our county. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, Hey, God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.